This is the Image Junkies Podcast, the show for news and documentary filmmakers, with your host, Christian Parkinson. Welcome! Hey guys, how are you? Welcome to episode four of the Image Junkies Podcast, which is the second part of our interview with BBC veteran Bob Prabhu. If you missed last week's episode, um, then you missed a treat, so I suggest go back have a listen to what Bob had to say about his days training at Wood Norton, his time in the BBC's Moscow Bureau, the early days of electronic news gathering. Um, so without further ado, let's carry on with part two of my interview with Bob Prabhu. And then after, after you did, was it five years in Moscow, you went back to London and what did you, what did you do after that? What stories did you cover and, and how did your career develop? Well... Let me give you a piece of advice. Whatever you do, um, my career was going well, but whatever you do, don't play the lottery. Because if you win the lottery, um, you create more enemies and the whole BBC management and the structure just want to get rid of you. I had a hell of a bad time after I won the lottery. So for anyone who doesn't know then, you actually like literally won the lottery. Yes. Yes. Big, big money. And my whole career came to a stop. They wanted me to get out. Really? I had to swallow my pride and had said, I said, it's got nothing to do with you. What I did with one pound coin and I won the lottery, it's my money. Mm. And they wanted me out. They made it very, very difficult. Wow. And, uh, and, um, and I said, okay. This kept sending me to the jobs nobody wanted, like High Court or mm. the uh, Downing Street, all the sort of boring jobs. You yeah. Know? Or very dangerous, they wanted to send me to Chechnya. Well, the problem going back to Chechnya, having won the lottery, if the journalist said, oh, I won the lottery, you can bet uh, your bottom yeah. dollar, the journalist can't keep quiet. Yeah. The Chechens would have heard it. They would have kidnapped me. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the, the politics in the BBC is that bad, you know. Hmm. And I said, no, I'm not going to Chechnya. I'm not going to be part of it. I know the scene. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. It was sadly it was the the downside of my you know yeah yeah uh, my career at the end. But um, I I remember you were you were spoken of very well in uh, one of John Simpson's books. I think you did a lot of work with Simpson. Did you? Um, was that I did. was that around that time or was that earlier? Well, I, I first met John Simpson in um, in Falkland, in Montevideo, not Falkland, Falkland story in in Montevideo. Then the Romania story that happened, you know, I, I worked very closely with him. Mm. And it was a great pleasure to work with him. He's wonderful. And I just couldn't believe what a brave man he was, you know. Uh, and then I worked on many other stories with him. And I, it was such a delight, you know, which he mentioned in, in his books. You know. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. And over, when, did you, when did you eventually retire then, Bob? What year did you retire? I retired on, on the 1st of April uh, 2011. And how many years had you done in total? Did you say nearly 40? Yeah. Wow. And, and over that time, working so long as a cameraman, what, what changes did you see? Like, how did you see the job changing over that time? And, and what do you think was different when you left from when you started? What were the biggest differences? Well, one of, one of the things with film camera is that you only have in one magazine, 400 feet. And you 
tend to edit in there because you you need the whole package. You need to have cutaway shots all put in. So you control what you shoot. So when you send a film with a pigeon, a pigeon is a man who carries the tape, sorry, film, to London. Oh, that was so the you, nickname, a pigeon. You, I didn't know that. A pigeon, yeah. You, know, you put a tape, wrap it, and put the labels on, put it in an onion bag, go to the airport and say, would you please take it? And when you come to London, Heathrow, give it to the HM Customs. And they will, They knew to ring the BBC to say, oh, wow. we have a t film there. In the early years, we used to have a mobile processing vehicle. So when they collected a film, or more than one film, they would load it in the, in the truck while it was traveling back, and the processing would stop, which would take 20, 30 minutes. So by the time they come to TV center, it's all dried, ready to go into cutting room. Right. Amazing. <laughs> you know, that was to get the speed of the program. Because during the Vietnam War, the stories were about a day, two days, three days late mm, yeah. because of film, yeah. you know. Now, one of the things, you know, I mentioned earlier, on film, they used to say four, one stop, two stop, three stops and all. When you had the ENG camera, you had the switch plus three dBs, plus nine dBs, plus... Yeah. 18 dBs. It's the same thing like in film, when you force ah. the film, so you can see a bit more detail in the dark. I see. Because it's grainy. Yeah. But the bad thing is, when the producers and correspondents knew on electronic cameras, you can just run tapes. Mm. They used to say, keep running, keep running, keep running. You yeah, know. yeah. Doesn't matter. So the discipline you have on film, was being wasted, which, and, you know, to me, I still kept the discipline. You know, early discipline was still there in me. Yeah. But they wanted a lot of people just to keep it running, you know, in case they miss something, you know, just keep it running. Yeah. You know, so the 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 technique changed. So, you know, I mean, in the early years, on the umatic machines we have, the, the tape was 20 minutes long. It's to... You know, similar to a raw a can of films. Yeah. So you, but if you were doing a football match, you would take the big uh, BVU 110, which you can put a one-hour tape in it. Right. So you don't have to change cassettes. Yeah. So you record the whole thing, and then they would, and as a sound man, you write the time code when the goal happened, so they know where to look for that. Yeah. So. Things changed. On the film days, the cameraman had to watch near the goal and film it, and he had to have another magazine ready. The sound man had to get everything ready at that time, you know. Yeah. Completely different. So in with ENG, there was a sense of urgency. You know, it has to be now. Like, it's got to go on air now. Yeah. And, um, you know, um, and we... We, you know, explored various ways. I mean, at one stage, they even thought, and some people, some TV networks did, where they recorded an interview on TV. And in the studio, they put the link to make it look like live. Oh, I see. It wasn't live. Yeah. You know, it wasn't live at all. They, they played it with editing. They made it look like we got pictures, you know, from Timbuktu, wherever. Right. You know, that... It looks like live, but then 
when the producer choice came and they said no you can't do things like that this is not hmm. you know it's it's cheating yeah fake, so fake news <laughs> well it's not fake news what the content was was not fake but hmm. The implication that it was live when right. it was not live yeah, yeah. was not quite fake and all the facts in it was true. Yeah. But it wasn't, you know, to pretend that it was live was wrong, you yeah, know. Yeah. So yeah. Um so yeah, so where are the limits of ENG? How how you know mm. we can extend it and you know. Yeah. So we the BBC has, but other countries, other TV networks, maybe they practice that's technique. I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. They can, you know. Yeah. And um, I was very proud. I mean, John Simpson gave me the chance to work with him when I did Simpsons World. We started that in the BBC when I walked backwards for 24 minutes, actually 30 minutes, the cutdown. So it was like a documentary in one take, essentially. Exactly. Yes. I would walk backwards with the producer guiding me, you know, and I would decide what is interesting by listening to the person and if he's just waffling and all then just look around at other things and come back and what did you say you know right yeah what does he say you know and for 25 minutes so much so a lot of people liked it and mm. um so very, it's a very natural organic way of filming yes because it's it's one go and Gaddafi used to like it and Gaddafi sent an invitation to John Simpson to come and interview him and he said he want, he liked it so much he wanted to do a similar sort of thing wow. with him. Yeah. You know, nonstop. So I went to Tripoli with John Simpson, where with one, one camera, but when the when we talked to them, they said no, oh, they want access to our material. Ooh. And we knew we couldn't get out of it. Yeah. But they said they will have a local TV also filming, which was a similar sort of thing in Argentina when during the Falkland War. Yeah. They had their own camera. So I said, can I have one more camera, please? So I got this three camera shoot mm. and I got enough tapes to put it in there. And I got those tapes and I said, yes, let's go. You can have a dub, but I would need all those three tapes to go to London. Yeah. And um, when we, you know, we finally came to London, but when we were traveling, John Simpson was listening and I said, sorry to point out, but when, Gaddafi was sitting there and he was moving a lot, but he was actually farting away. <laughs> he said, no, Bob, no, you know, John said. I said, I'm pretty sure, if, you know, those chairs, it was not squeaking. You watch, you know, and I was hearing it on my headphone, my microphone was picking up. <laughs> and then he looked and looked and he said, ah, you didn't tell me, you missed the last one, John says. So what's that? He said the last big fart he had, he had a big smile on his face. I said, really? I missed that one. <laughs> so the story of a Gaddafi interview yeah. turned out to be his farting all through the program. You know. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. And, and uh, I, I've got a memory of you telling me a story once, and I'm sure people will uh, be interested. Uh, have you been bitten on the bum while filming? <laughs> Yeah, of all places. I mean, I, I was working with David Siletto and the the London city dealers deal with the New York city dealers. And they often have a go, they cancel, bid and whatever. So they have a meeting around the end of the year before Christmas in London where they have a boxing ring 
So they call each other saying, right, I've got something to square up with you. You know, you didn't do something and they will punch each other up. Sort of like white, white collar boxing type thing. Yes. I mean, it was meant in good faith and people just yeah. let out steam and all. Now, there was, I was standing at the back and there was this ring and David Sillett was standing there. I was on my camera, on the camera on my shoulder, and I felt a bite on my right side of my bum. <laughs> ah, ah, what's that? Look around. It was a man, a white, nicely dressed with, you know, tie and shirt, on his knees, and he bit my bum <laughs> and pulled in two points of, you know, lager. And my inkling was first to kick him, but then I remembered I'm a BBC employee. I'm not supposed to. And we just walked away. Yeah, yeah brilliant. But, you know, the what thing, do you do? The things we put up with in our job. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you can't. What, yeah, this yeah. is. Uh, yeah. you, you have to always remember you're working for the BBC. You are a BBC's ambassador. Exactly. At exactly. all times. Yeah. Yeah. And and what would you say um, are the most important attributes for a cameraman? You know, both both before and now. I guess the attributes you need have never changed, really. What what would you say are the most important skills somebody needs? You know, the most important personal attributes to be a successful cameraman and a news um, filmmaker. Well, the most important thing for a, being a cameraman is you've got to have that basic skill of using the equipment the BBC gives you. If you're a freelancer like DC or Fred Scott, they are able to buy different cameras and use it. But in the BBC, you're stuck with the equipment they give you. Mm. And even if the equipment is no good, you are stuck with it. You know, that is the bad thing about working in a big organization like the BBC. So, but when you've got an equipment, the old theory is that a bad workman blames his tools, but you have to learn somehow cajole the engineers to better it, get around the problem and make the best of it, of what you have. That is the most important thing. The second thing is you need luck to be sent on various stories, the stories where something happens. The third thing is when you hope to make a good documentary in in the structure, in your own mind, or you talk with the producer or the correspondent or the editor of the program, and you know what are the shots that will blend in. And if you don't get the shot, how to get around it? So you are thinking in terms of structuring the output. Yeah. It's quite important. I mean, it's, it's not a rocket science thing, you know. It's, you can easily, anybody can pick it up, you know. Uh, I, I would encourage anybody and everybody to learn. Another thing is, I mean, what is so different from the days when I started? There was a chap um, called Chris Marlowe, who sadly is no more. When he finished schooling, his mother gave him a cine camera, a film camera, as a present. Cameras was not easy to get. A 16mm camera he got was fantastic. Today, cameras are... 10 to a dozen, mm. everywhere you can see. Yeah. You are seeing cameras in the streets. You, you can see the, the cops program where street cameras are finding people are fighting each other. Mm. You got body cameras, you know, policemen and various people wearing body cameras. You got cameras on your phone, you got on your desktop. So 
to be a cameraman, you know, now BBC programs, they don't even name who the cameraman is. Mm. You got no mention who the cameraman is. Because you can get lots of pictures. The main thing is in editing, to put all these things together. So is there a future for cameraman? I think there's a limited future for cameraman at the moment. Because anybody working in the BBC now, to have their bread and butter job, they have to do live cameras. Do party conferences or live cameras. There is no money to go and do documentaries, which Al Jazeera and sometimes Sky do very well. The BBC doesn't have a lot of money to spend on those. And when they do, it's one-off. And so when you've got a team of 30 cameramen in TV news, you know, people are not happy. They're not getting the chance to do anything. Mm. But if you're a picture editor and you enjoy cutting pictures and doing a program, you've got a better chance of doing things. You understand? Yeah. So yeah. I was in the right time, from my point of view, I was at the right time when I had the best. Yeah. But I don't want to start now, you know, with the present environment yeah. of what things are. Sure. I mean, the, jo the jobs, the jobs changed uh, substantially. Um, and I mean, do you do you miss it, Bob? Do you miss it, or are you glad to be glad to have retired? Um, no, I actually during the the Arab Spring, I was watching it a lot, and I knew what was going on. And I was thinking, if I was in Cairo or if I was in Tunisia, I would know everything that's happening in that location. I wouldn't know the big story. Mm. But by sitting at home, I could know what is going on. I could see the pictures and, you know, what is happening, yeah. which is fantastic. Now, <clears throat> the thing is, at the moment, it really is pointless for me to want to go because, one, is I'm nearly 70 years old. And to go and do the job is too demanding for me. Mm. I can't physically do it. You know, it's just too much. Even though the camera sizes have come down. The second thing is, if there are reporters now who are trained in, in digital journalism who take their phone, little phones like that, and they record a piece to camera, they do some shots, they edit it in there, and they send it. And the, the broadcasters are quite happy. If you're trained to do that, one man band, he does that. Most of the run-of-the-mill stories are just wallpaper, just some story, something, you know. It's no big deal. And if they want, they can put, if they send the pictures, they can put some library stuff of some old bridge or, you know, train or whatever. So there isn't much there because if you if you look at the people who are actually watching TV, then the number of people watching TV has reduced. More of them are watching what they want on their smartphone. And they watch things like YouTube, which is shot in, there's no proper order or anything, but people like watching it. And they, they watch, TV output, the odd ones they want to watch, you know. Yeah. So it's complete. The, the audience have changed. Yeah. So, you know, in the early years when I joined, there used to be usually about 10 to 12 million people watching the news in 1972. 
Now, if they get five million, they said they're doing well. Five yeah. million on the ten crop, very good. Yeah. Where is 10, 12 million and five million now? What happened to them? Yeah. Where are they? So the facts speaks for themselves. The whole market has changed. Yeah. Another thing is, you know, people don't have the patience unless it's like Blue Planet, you know, where you watch the animals. It's done in high quality and yeah. the pictures allowed to breathe and it's done very well. Besides them, the generally staff, general staff are very, very short. People, you know, if you can't tell a story within one and a half minutes, people get bored. Mm. Yeah, totally bored. Yeah, and we have got to save money. You get what John Jockel used to say, um, radio in vision. Means you get a talking head, a person standing there in camera, talking about whatever. Well, where are the pictures, you know? We want, you know, as a viewer, you don't really want, you know, listen to radio if you want to, you know, see a person just yapping away. Yeah. Boring. It's boring. Yeah. It's not television. Not the television I knew. <laughs> well, that, that, that leads me on to what I think will be my final question, Bob, which is um, what advice would you give then to a young cameraman now just starting out? You know, the, what have you learned over the years that you'd like to pass on? You know, practical skills, you know, knowledge that you think will help them to have a successful and, and safe career. Well, I, I would say not, don't be a cameraman. Now, I, I think you should be a jack of all trade. You know, you should do a bit of camera, but do editing and do producing. You've got to do all that and do a bit of journalism. Because as I said, the person with the smartphone like that, with the iPhone camera there, you know, they're going to do their own packages. People don't worry in news. If, if the thing is good, they will take it, you know. Mm. I mean, you know what happened in 2005 with the explosion in the underground all the people with the smartphone were taking pictures the yeah. police drowned the mobile phones in, in in london so the office could not contact any camera crews at all no the crews did not know what was happening but the people were filming in the underground they were taking pictures and giving it to the broadcasters for free for free all these breaking news stories were given for free so when a cameraman is, you know, make, trying to make a living with a mortgage and wife and child, how are you going to compete? How, you know, how can you be everywhere when the job public is everywhere? You can't. You can't cope. You just won't be able to. But one-off, if you can jack of all trade, you might get something. Yeah. And you're prepared to do it, you know. But otherwise, I think the future is, you know, from my point of view, it's bleak, you know. <laughs> well, there's a there's a cheery thought to end on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you asked me, I told you. My true, opinion. true. Um, but but just quickly, then, on a personal level, what um, you know, career sort of prospects aside, just as a person, as a human being, what advice would you you know? What would you say are the most useful things you know a new cameraman or new multi skilled journalist could could bring to the table in terms of personality traits? or something important that you learn in your years in the field that you'd like to pass on to anybody who's listening? Well, um, 
it's quite important to get on with people with a good sense of humor um, and you know to to be very flexible in everything um, when I was based in Moscow besides my camera work I used to cook for the whole bureau it was part of my job uh, you know because food we couldn't go outside to get any food because it was in the Soviet days there was no cafes or anything to uh, go and get food yeah. you know so I used to go shopping, get the food, prepare it, and we had one hot lunch, you know. So that was not part of my job description. When I was in Goma, I took a lot of curry powder, go, go to the market, buy the stuff and cook it. You know, I, I did that in Goma many times. So there, there are other side of the job, like when I was uh, in Indonesia and even in Goma, um, we had to go into the jungle. So we had to go from one side of the river to the other side. But we used to get a bike. We took the bike on this narrow boat. On the other side, sit on the bike and go into the jungle to film the stuff. In Indonesia, all the people in the cars, there used to be barricades. We used to get the best chaps on motorbikes who knew the streets, who were working for the BBC. So I would go with my my spare belt with my battery and tape, no tripod, handheld camera, mm. go where they were attacking and robbing, stealing and destroying shops, get the shots, jump on the bike and he would go through the bump, sit there back, avoid all the crash. Before they came, we were out of there. You know, and then sometimes at one stage I said, where we were, can you go back on the other side? Because I want to shot from the other side as well. He said, yeah, I can. Yeah. They, 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 they use one word. They don't say, yes, we can. They don't say that. They say, can, can. You know? Yeah. So went around, got the extra shots, and then I said, right, we got enough. Let's go back. So the shots were all taken on a motorbike, you know, right. just a driver and me, you know. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I, know, I know Chris Marler used to do some on horses. You know, oh, wow. but that's the adventure of being a cameraman in those days. Mm. One of the things, I, you know, when you would go to war zones, you know, I used to always write down on my hand the car registration number. Every car I travel, I write down the number. The reason being, because my gear is there. So when I go on a shoot, I come back, I need to know which car to go to. Yeah. Because <laughs> sometimes they're all white Mercedes. So, yeah, right, I can't yeah. remember. You know, it's bizarre. Yeah. But by writing it, I know which one to go. The second thing is I worked on the basis. If I get robbed or anything, these are the card numbers already on my body written down. Oh, I see. Yeah. So if I get, you know, kidnapped or not, so the police can see what are these cars, you know. So that is something quite useful for people, you know, to mm. practice that, I think, you know. Yeah. Uh, then writing on a piece of paper, you lose it, you know, but you write it on your hand with a barrel pen, it remains until that night is wash it off and yeah. start again. Yeah. You know? Well, I hope you'll agree that was a cracking interview and it really is good to hear the stories of the guys who came before us, I think, the guys who laid the groundwork for where we are today. Um, and Bob certainly ticks all of those boxes and has some great stories to go with it. 
So thanks again to Bob. If you guys know anybody who you think would make an interesting interviewee, someone who lived through some of the biggest stories of our time, then please do, do drop me a line or a tweet or whatever at, at Image Junkies. In the meantime, please subscribe to the podcast, comment if you can. Um, remember, there's also the Image Junkies YouTube channel and on Instagram and Twitter, I'm also at Image Junkies. So do reach out, drop me a line if you've got any questions and I'll speak to you next week. All right, cheers guys, bye-bye.